Come on, you have to believe it while you sing it. You can't just sing it. Who believes that today? Come on, let's sing it. One more there is. Him like those chains are broken, the addiction is broken. Come on, man. Man, with eyes closed, we're gonna pray one more time. If you're comfortable, maybe if it's your first time, you don't feel comfortable, that's fine. But if you're comfortable, just extend your hands out to God. It's a, it's a sign of expectation. God, meet us here. We, we were here for you, God. We're, we're not here for Sean. We're not here for those on the stage. We're not here even for the axe throwing and the root beer flow, although it's nice. We're, we're here for you, God. We're here for you, Jesus. We're here for you, Holy Spirit. I pray right now in Jesus' name, Lord, that you meet us here. I thank you for every broken heart in this place, every mended heart in this place. I pray for anyone going through depression in this place, maybe someone who's been hurt by the church, maybe someone who has been ridiculed by the church. I pray this is the moment you mend broken hearts. This is the moment where you reveal yourself to, to lost people who say, you know what, well, if I come in this place, the roof is going to cave in. But Lord, we're thanking you that the roof didn't cave in because you ran out of the church doors to go find the outcasts and the misfits and the lost and the addicts. You sat down with tax collectors and sinners so you could bring them back to you and Lord you're doing that in our church and we are forever grateful Holy Spirit I pray that you would meet us in this place thank you for the fathers in this house thank you for those spiritual fathers the dads the stepdads thank you for all those who are making a difference in their home I pray Father God that we wouldn't just sing a song today but today we believe that you have broken every chain because of the resurrection you broke the grave and you broke our chains and those who believe it say amen and give God praise come on amen go ahead and give a couple people a high five say happy Father's Day tell them you're glad that they're here man you guys know how to worship that's for sure that was fun. Who had some fun during that? Anybody else have fun? Yeah. Woo. Your pastor needed that. 
I'm going to have Sue stay up here with me for a little bit because I'm going to kind of set kind of what God wants to do um, in this place. It's going to be a little bit different uh, today, but I do want to say happy Father's Day first and foremost. Can we give it up for our fathers in the house? So thankful. Um, in case you were wondering, my name is Sean Jensen. Uh, me and my wife have the privilege of serving as pastors here at Authentic Church. And if you don't notice by now, God is up to something in our hearts. Um, he's very up to something in our church. I think we're on a pinnacle of something brand new and fresh, and I'm ready to see what God has for it. I'm ready to be a church that's united to step into everything God has for us. And uh, I love seeing what God is doing in our church. And I want to say happy Father's Day to my father back there in the sound booth. I love you, Dad. Wade Jensen, Waddy, whatever they call you. He was, his nickname in high school was Waddy. How cool is that? Happy Father's Day to stepdads, spiritual fathers, and you know what? Single moms. We love you. We know sometimes you have to do both roles, and so let's celebrate all the single moms in the place, too, that have to. We love you so much. We know sometimes it's hard. And even the single fathers who are here that have to play both roles, we, we're praying for you. I hope that this is a place you can be encouraged and find life. Um, we are going to open God's word because that's where we find freedom. Uh, I, I really do, I'm really encouraged by this, this message. And this isn't a, a, I know we cheer a lot at this church and we respond, which I encourage you to continue doing. Uh, but this is a message that you may not respond because you might have to reflect. Uh, sometimes we respond and sometimes we reflect. And I know about this message that sometimes when we reflect, it's good because then we can begin to give the things to God that he wants us to give to him so he can continue to bless those things in our life. And so we're going to be in Genesis 12, which is the beginning of the book. So it's the very first book. If you brought a Bible to church, Genesis. If you brought your iPhone or iPad, uh, you can just click Genesis. If you didn't bring anything... You're still, it's all right, just lean back. We have it on the screens for you. We prepared for you because we love you. And if you didn't get a root beer float on the way out or throw an axe at a target, do that before you leave. Uh, can we give it up for the people who built that thing, uh, by the way? That is, that is awesome. So for them, go out there and throw an axe at the target, please. Uh, someone shared, like, someone after the first said, I've been really angry throwing stuff, so this is a really good day. I'm like, just make sure you're aiming that way. <laughs> it's just like, I'm angry at you. Anyways, Genesis 12, let me give you some context, the backstory of what we're going to read, especially for those who may aren't familiar with the Bible. We're just glad you're here. Like, Sean, I don't know the Bible. That's all right. We're glad you're here. Let me help you understand it a little bit more. Uh, Genesis is uh, where we find about Adam and Eve. Uh, Adam and Eve were in the garden, and God gave them a choice because love is choice. You can't have love and not have choice. You can't force someone to love you. And so they chose to sin. They chose to do what God asked them not to do. And it kind of ruined everything in paradise because God actually wants us to live with freedom in a full life. He knows how we are created and he has great things for us. And when we disobey, he doesn't just want to dictate us. He actually wants to protect us. <laughs> and so when that happened, the fall happened. But God is so good that as soon as we were separated from God because of our sin, he already had a backup plan to get us back to Jesus. And I love that about Jesus. I don't know what you've heard, but God loves you. He cares about you. And if you've been running away from him, he's been running at you. The moment that Adam and Eve sinned and ran away from God, God was already running towards them a workout plan, and his name was Jesus. So what happened was Jesus, God said, I have to create this plan. I have to create my chosen people called Israel. I have to birth a brand new people named Israel, a community of people who I call my children, and I'm going to do it through this man named Abraham. And I thought, what better on Father's Day to talk about Father Abraham? And some of you maybe grew up hearing that. Um, you might be singing the song in your head right now. Uh, but Father Abraham is actually where Israel came from. He was, he was, when he was called by 
by God. He was in his 70s. He couldn't have kids. God said, you're the perfect person to bring a whole family through. I know God chooses the people that don't make sense, but thank God, because if he didn't, I wouldn't be up here right now. Uh, and so some, that triggered good. You're like, me too, pastor. Me too. And, uh, and so God calls him, and what we're going to read right now is he brings Israel through Abraham which we see the 12 tribes, and then all the way through Israel, it's where King David came from, the God's chosen people, the Jewish uh, people, uh, Jesus comes through. So Jesus comes through Abraham's faith. My question might be for you today is, what does Jesus want to bring through you to someone else because of your faith? When we step out in faith, Jesus comes through into other people's lives. And he said, Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation, which we're going to read. And so this is when he calls Abraham to step out so that he could rescue us through Jesus' plan. Genesis 12 said, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, everything you're used to, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. It was 14 years later when he was 100 that he actually, it's 15, but it was months. It was 14 years to 15 years that Isaac was born through Abraham and Sarah. They were both couldn't have kids. And 14 years later, God provides. Let's not get so uptight when God doesn't work from last Sunday. Five days, God, I'm done. 14 years and the promise came through. I just want to encourage someone today that has lost hope. The promise is still going to come through. It's still going to come through. His, he took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken to the household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. He left everything that he knew his whole life, everything. And he went to a place, listen, where God would show him. <laughs> right? I love when God does that. Where are we going, God? I'll show you. Just go. And that's where he went. Lord, we pray right now in Jesus' name for your Holy Spirit. We don't need Sean's words. We need God's words. We need your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. Lord, I truly believe that this is a life-changing message. I truly believe it from the depths of my heart that anyone who steps in in faith and expects God to show up, you'll meet them here today. I pray that we would reflect, but we would respond in faith today. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Can you help me tell the title of this message by finding a few people and asking them this question? What did you bring with you? Ask someone, what did you bring with you? Come on, I want to hear you. Be nice. We're friendly here. What did you bring with you? It's, it's a rhetorical question. You don't need to tell them, I brought my root beer float and my purse and my friends. Who brought their fathers? Come on. We're glad that they're here. There you go. Thank you, dads, for coming out. Um, in this, I'm going to talk about this in a moment, what happened in this time when Abram stepped out. But if you guys don't know me, let me tell you a little bit more about myself. Uh, because some people are new. This is their first time, and we're glad that you're here. My name is Sean Jensen, and my wife, again, is Lizzie. And we have two girls, uh, Avery and Charlie. Avery is five, and Charlie's going to be four next week. And so uh, let me just give you an idea. Avery is the rule follower. Charlie is the rule breaker. Anybody got those two separate? Like, like she's up to something. She's going to be a great leader, but she just pushes the envelope every single day. Uh, we were at Cafe Fontana here in town. Shameless plug. We were at Cafe Fontana getting some lunch. And as we were there eating, uh, we were just kind of hanging out and stuff. And all of a sudden, I heard my daughter, Avery, go, Daddy, 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 Daddy. 
Now, how many people know, like, we don't mean to ignore our kids, but we tend to ignore the ones who never stop asking questions because we have built, like, this, like, familiar, don't look at me like that. Like, I'm not saying this is a good father. I'm just saying, I'm working on it. But sometimes, like, daddy, 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 daddy. You're like, what? Right? Like, you're like, what do you need, Avery? And she goes, Charlie's trying to steal a spoon. I'm like, Charlie's, and I look over, and Charlie has a little spoon in her finger, uh, and she's putting it into my jacket. And I look, and she's like, <laughs> and I take it. I'm like, Charlie, like, we don't steal. That's not your spoon. She liked it because it was, like, kind of smaller. It wasn't too big, but it wasn't a baby one. It was, like, Charlie's spoon. Like, she's like, this is Charlie's spoon. Like, this is mine. And uh, so I was like, no, we don't steal. And we went back to eating and enjoyed our Cafe Fontana and decided to bring all, come back home and hang out. And as I was at home, I began to take my jacket off. And as I was taking my jacket off, I heard this metal sound hit the floor. Yeah, my klepto daughter, right? Like, <laughs> I hear ching, ching, ching. I mean, right away, I was like, look down. And I was like, she stole the spoon. But she didn't just steal the spoon after I told her not to steal the spoon. Like, fool me once, like, right? Like, she still put it in my pocket, and I had no idea that she put it in my pocket. That is scary. She is three years old, church. Pray for me. Just pray. Just pray. Like, you're pre they're the ones stealing your kids' snacks back there, you know. And I look at that, and I'm like, I had no idea this whole time that she put it back in my pocket. This whole time, I didn't know that it was with me. I didn't know it was there. But it was in my pocket. Not Charlie's. It was in my pocket. And I was like, hey, have a nice day. Yeah, Pastor Sean, you should come to church sometime. You know, it's great. It will be awesome. No, it's great. Yeah, and I'm taking their spoons. Like, I'm like... Little did they know, right? I didn't know. Uh, so just to show you the difference of Charlie and Avery, let me show you how Avery responded. I got it on video, just so you know. This is literally raw. This is the And gone. <laughs> I'm out. Like, so those were my girls, and she thought I was going to go to jail. I didn't. And if you're watching, I'll bring it back. I promise. Love you guys. All right. So uh, I talk about this because I really thought it would be fitting as we talk this Father's Day, but for everyone in this room, that so many times we don't realize that there have been things that have been placed in our life that we don't even know that are attached to us. But when we get home, or when we get in our household, or we live long enough, we realize there was some things in our pockets, some attitudes in our pockets, some addictions in our pockets, some things hanging to us from our pockets that we brought with us that we didn't know until maybe the family begins to get bigger. Maybe the tempers begin to flare and the, the trust problems begin to grow and the unfaithfulness comes up. And the problem is, and I don't know about you, but I'm speaking for personal experience, we can go so far not realizing there's been something placed in our life that begins to expose itself and boom, right there, it falls to the kitchen floor and there's that spoon. This whole time we didn't know it was with us and then it rears its ugly head. And I want to talk about that today and encourage you. The reason I'm talking about this isn't to shame anyone. It's to save us so that we can have a better marriage, a better life, and that we can find healthiness in what God has for us. And we're going to address those things. But, but listen, I got to talk about this. You're like, Sean, what does this have to do with Abram? We read the story. Did you forget about it? Jesus, God asked Abram, what? 
to go to a native country, leave his native country, leave his relatives, and listen, and his family, his father's family. He said, leave them all. But we find out in scripture that Abram took his nephew Lot. We always overlook this, and I don't think we talk about this enough, and I'm going to give you some evidence here. He actually took something with him that wasn't supposed to go with him. And we can do the same thing when God begins to ask us to step through the life of faith and to step move forward. Sometimes, yes, we do it maybe on purpose, but on accident, but when we step out, we take something with us because sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we don't know if God's really going to show up. See, Lot was his, Abram's nephew, his nephew, which means that maybe if he couldn't have kids, at least he could probably live it through Lot. So I want to talk about this because Lot was never supposed to go with Abram. And what does this look like for us? What does this look like with the spoon? It looks like this. <clears throat> have you heard someone say, hey, he got that from his daddy. He got that from his mama. Oh, that was, that, that's from your great, great, great. Right? It's come through the lineage. What have we taken from our father's family that we're still dealing with today? I'm talking about what the church would call generational curses. I know it sounds pretty intense. We'll talk about that in a second. But what am I talking about is we've seen our grandfathers deal with it and our grandmothers deal with it and our parents deal with it and now I'm just dealing with it. Like, you remember? Oh my gosh, I sound like my father, right? Like, oh my gosh, did I just say that? Like, I will never be my mom. I will never be my father. And then the kid comes in and you're like, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Oh my gosh. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like all in one moment that you realize that it can't. What have you attached yourself to? He took Lot. He was never supposed to take Lot. My question is for us, what have we brought into our families that we were never supposed to bring into our families? What are some things they do? Because if I'm talking personally, there's some things in my life that I want to see victory over that is still in my life. But I believe that if it is contrary to God's word, God doesn't want it in our families if it's not part of his obedience plan, because he wants to protect us. And the, the truth is, law actually means a covering, a veil, that keeps their head from God. That's what his name means. Keeps their head from God. Which means this whole time Lot was with him, it was keeping a veil between blessing that God had for, for Abram's life. Look at this. There's two accounts that happen. He takes Lot, and this maybe you can relate to this. Genesis 13, 7 through 8. It says, so disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. At that time, Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land. Finally, Abram said to Lot, let's not, let's not allow this conflict to come between us, our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. I, I laughed because I almost made a joke about the Canaanites and Perizzites, and now I'm going to. They should call an Orkin man. Anyway, so finally, <laughs> let's think about that. After all, we are close relative. So first off, we realize he brought Lot and it brings conflict. It brings, dis it brings chaos to where they have to actually separate because he was never supposed to bring Lot. When we bring things in from our fathers or grandfathers and, and things in our life, it brings chaos into our family. It brings disputes in our family. It brings conflicts into our family. It brings conflicts into our relationship. It brings conflicts into our church. I'm not just talking about maybe your close family, maybe your church family, but look at what happens right after that. Lot actually gets uh, captive, and actually Abram, since he feels he's responsible for Lot because he brought Lot when he wasn't supposed to, now he feels like he has to rescue him. So Genesis 14, 14 says, when Abram heard that his nephew Lot had been captured, he mobilized the 318 trained men who had been born into his household. Then he pursued... <clears throat> 
Kendrick Lamar's army until he caught up with them at, <laughs> I'm sorry, he caught up with them at Dan. That's all, I, that's the first thing I saw, guys, don't judge me. Then he pursued his army, went, caught up with Dan. So what's, what's happening here? Not only did it bring conflict, he also had to use his energy in unnecessary battles. Guys, come on, this is going to hit so good this week. How many times have we spent fighting unnecessary battles because of our tempers? How many times, men, have we been trying, I'm sorry, dear, here's some flowers. I'm trying, I'm trying, here's some chocolate. I shouldn't have said that. I'm, you're not like your mom, I promise. It's, I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't look at me like I'm crazy. In the spout of temper, in the spout of anger, you said some things that you're trying to clean up now. I'm not trying to say we're going to be perfect. What I am saying is we need to begin to realize that there's some things in our life that we have brought from our families and our families that we have accepted. And God's beginning to tell his church today, stop accepting what I have not accepted and find freedom in it because I want to bless you and your family. We can't have a full life and hang on to the things of the past. So I want to encourage us today, three things that we can get rid of. This is just going to say like three things. If I was preaching old school to people who've been in church, I'd be like three things that's going to help you overcome the generational curses in your life. But I was like, that's weird. So I'm going to tell you this. What did you bring with you? And what do you need to leave behind you? We're going to talk about those things. So what does that look like? What does this look like? Maybe it's racism. We can't ignore this in our culture, guys. Let's just not, let's just not act weird. Like maybe, just maybe, I had a great grandma who said some colorful language, and when I say colorful, that's exactly what she called the other race. She loved Jesus, she was a Lutheran, and she was committed to his word. But she would spout some things off. Do I honor her? Absolutely, because I believe God changed her heart and worked in her. But I, if you're not careful, you could pick things up, and it's because they learned it from someone else. And unless we address these things, we'll say, well, that's just who we are. That's just how we respond. Maybe it's anger. That's just how, we, that's just how my great-grandpappy and that's how my grandma, that's how we respond. We just yell at each other and we fight and we get over it. But that's not how God wants to do it. Maybe it's unfaithfulness. Maybe it's uh, uh, strings of divorce and hurt. Maybe it, it, it's abuse. I don't know what it is and what you're doing is you have brought it through. And I'm not bringing this to shame people today. I'm being a pastor who wants to address some things that's robbing you of God's best in your life. And we're going to address, so Sean, you're telling me that I can overcome this thing that I hate looking at all the time. It bugs me. It hurts. Absolutely. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it can happen. It can happen. And the first thing we need to talk about if we want to see it happen is it may come from your family, but that doesn't mean it has to stay in your family. Which means this, stop accepting it. Sean, how am I accepting this thing? When we make comments like, that's just who I am. That's just how I respond. It's just a chemical thing in my mind. I'm not saying we don't use medicine. Just trust me. I'm not saying we don't use medicine to help with depression. I am not saying you don't go and call, talk to doctors. Please talk about your depression. You can talk about it here. You're looking at someone who used medicine when he went through anxiety and depression, and God brought me through it. I'm not trying to say that, but what I'm trying to say is you begin to accept something that God wants to deliver you from. How he does it, I don't know. But my heart would let you know is just because this has gone through three generations doesn't mean that has to stay in your family too. 
You don't have to accept this thing. I'm just going to give you peace today to let you know you don't have to accept this thing. You don't have to look at him like, that's just who I am. You don't have to choose to be blind. You don't have to choose to be lame, spiritually speaking. You don't have to be choose to be weak and broke. Are we weak sometimes? Yes. Are we hurting sometimes? Yes. But we don't have to stay there because Jesus didn't stay in the grave and we won't stay in our sin and shame. So we're going to walk through it and we're going to find freedom today in these things in galatians i love this i'm going to do this for the followers in galatians paul actually talks about this kind of thing he's trying to let people know just because there's some things that happen in your past and your not just your past but your generation's past doesn't mean it has to follow you today in your family and he gives a beautiful scripture that is awesome but i gotta tell you what's happening it's in galatians 2 20 before you put up this is the church of galatia the church of galatia was a church in Galatia, like we started a church, they did in Galatia. The author is Paul, who was Saul, which we're going to talk about. Saul turned to Paul, right? Killed Christians, didn't preach Jesus. And God gets a hold of him and says, hey, you're persecuting me. We'll go on that in a second. But he is very upset right now because the church in Galatia was built on the grace of Jesus Christ, meaning it's not our works that get us saved. It's not how good you are, how good deeds you do. We have to realize that our sin is so vast that nothing we can do can get us on God's good side. That's why Jesus died for us. He paid the penalty and paid our debt so we could have a relationship with God. That's something to be excited about. That's something we celebrate at church every time we worship. But what happened is after the church began to grow, these Jewish people who came in before Jesus who were circumcised. If, kids, if you want to know what that means, ask your parents later. He was circumcised. And people were, in that day, you had to be circumcised. Like it was a work for, it was a, a, a part of the law for you as the covenant between you and God that you would do before Jesus. And so these Jews were circumcised and these Gentiles who didn't know anything about the law were getting saved and they're like, hold up. <laughs> Wait a second. We had to, you know, ouch. <laughs> these guys were getting saved and they didn't have to, you know, Ouch. So I think we should make them go through the ouch treatment, get circumcised. Why? So that they can be right with God. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Works don't get you saved with God, and works don't keep you saved with God. It's not based by what man can do anymore. Listen, this is super important. This is what he says in the scripture. This is for the men. I wouldn't say this on any other day. I'm just going to say this for Father's Day. I definitely wouldn't say this on Mother's Day. Paul shows up upset and says, you can't preach that gospel you're telling them that in order for them to have a right relationship with God, they have to get circumcised? He's like, you think that's what makes you holy is circumcision? He looks at them and goes, if you think that makes you holy, then you should go really holy and just cut off the whole thing. <laughs> and you guys think I'm bold sometimes? Are you? Paul just told a bunch of men, snip it off. <laughs> kids, we have authentic kids for him. I'm not trying to, that was for you fathers. Come on, brave heart, come on. <laughs> This is Bible. It is in Galatians. You're all Galatians on my U version. Everyone's gonna be in Galatians this week. Like, where was that at? That's, he says, go in and masculate yourself. Why did I say this? Listen, he says this and then he confronts this. In Galatians 2:20, he tells us how what has actually been crucified, what has actually been cut off. It's not about physical things, but what Jesus did on the cross. Galatians 2:20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul is saying, my old self, who I was and what came from my family, it all went to the cross when Jesus went to the cross. I don't live by those passions anymore. I don't live by those desires anymore. You see, the longer you follow Christ, your desires will start changing. Your passions will start changing. Why? Because he nailed those things to the cross your old self has been nailed to the cross he crucified it for you for i this is good news why because you now realize that if you want to overcome this thing in your life it's not going to be by our strength it's going to be by god's strength the blood of jesus and the power of the holy spirit he's fighting for you that's encouraging church if you thought you had to do this by yourself paul says no jesus does it jesus does it rest in his power rest in who you are in christ and I'll take care. You know who's saying these words? Paul. Paul knew the first five books of the Old Testament. He was a Jewish believer. He didn't believe in Jesus. He kept this thing to a T, the old laws. Not just that, he came from the tribe of Benjamin, what was from Israel, which means his heritage, what came from his family, was law and the Mosaic law. Which gets me to show that Paul was literally saying, Everything I knew up to the point of meeting Jesus doesn't matter. And there's some times that get hung up in these matters, but one thing I know, my old self has been crucified with Christ. If you are in Christ, I just want to let you know, everything up to the moment you met Christ has been crucified on the cross with Christ, which means you have power over it by the blood of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So don't live in defeat when it rears its ugly head. Remind yourself what Jesus did on the cross so you can find freedom from it. It's not your power, it's my power. It's simple, I know, but it's taken me so long just to realize, wow, I can rest in the power of the crucifixion and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. It's him and only him that will help you walk away from these things. I, it may have not come from the family, but it doesn't have to stay with me. Why? Because it's been crucified with Christ. The second thing is this, just because you didn't start it, doesn't mean God doesn't want to help you end it. It's really easy, and I've seen this, to, to get a victim mentality. It's really easy in this day and age. We get offended. People say things, meaning to or not. And we build this victim mentality. And, and the problem is with the victim mentality is we spend all of our energy trying to find out who hurt me and talk about the person who hurt me than focusing on the Jesus who can help you. Let me say that one more time. We focus all of our efforts on the people who hurt us and made us victims that we never focus on the power of Jesus who can make us victors. Let me say it one more time. Uh, we focus all of our energy complaining about who hurt me, who did what, what they said, how they treated me, and Jesus is like, yeah, uh, well, they spit in my face, they put thorns on my head, they made me walk up Calvary, they nailed me to a cross and to the, like through my feet and through my hands, and they killed me and they speared me, and with my last breath I said, forgive them, they do not know what they're doing. I could have had a victim mentality over anybody else, but I'm telling you, if you want to be a victor, you have to realize you have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. You don't have to be a victim anymore. Man, we have too many victims in the church. When God said, I don't care what has happened to you, focus on the victorious name of Jesus Christ. We have got to find victory in what Christ has done through us. It may, I'm feeling this one a lot. You guys came to the right experience. That's all I got to say. Just because you didn't start it doesn't mean God doesn't want to help you end it. Have you seen, have you said that before? 
as a parent. Like, you walk in, Avery, Charlie started it. <laughs> Charlie's like, what? No. Avery started it. I'm like, what? Avery's like, mommy started it. I'm like, babe, when'd you get in this? Like, what happened? Right? What do we say? I don't care who started it. I'm going to end it. Right? Come on. And the Spirit of God rises in the place. <laughs> do you know what Jesus did? Do you know what Jesus did when he came? Pharisees are looking at people, judging people. People are getting healed, literally walking from their mats. And he's like, oh, you healed on the Sabbath. And the guy's literally walking past them who hasn't walked for years. And they're more focused on a mat than the man. And if we're not careful in church, we'll see miracles happen, but we still smell alcohol. We're like, oh, did you know what they're doing? And I'm like, did you miss everything God is doing right here? And they would do that. They would do that, right? He shows up. People are at each other's ends. People are running away from God. Jesus shows up. He doesn't come and say, okay, let's write a map out and find out where this all started. He said, listen, before you blame the person at school, the father, the mother who wasn't there, I'm not trying to belittle this. I'm just trying to help you find victory. He says, look past that. Our, 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 our battle is not against flesh and blood. Actually, it says, in Romans 5.17, it shows us actually who's, who's to actually blame. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. He's saying, listen, because of one man's sin, we've all sinned. At that very moment, even though God had the best for us, sin and death entered into the world. So you can keep blaming your grandfather or your grandmother or whoever else, and maybe that's really what happened to you. I get that. But it really stems back to the one sin that happened in the garden. So let's drop our victim cards and stop trying to figure out. I know it hurts, and I know it feels good to want to blame someone for why you are the way you are, but the longer you spend blaming someone the way you are, you'll never find freedom from who you are. And the reason why I preach it so boldly is not because, well, he doesn't understand what I've been through. I don't. And I'm sure it hurts like hell. And I'm sure it sucks. And I'm sure you cry at night. And I'm sure you're in anguish saying, God, why didn't you show up? But I want to let you know he did show up. Because when Adam and Eve sinned in the scripture, it goes on to say, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. This should always show us that we should never live as victims. We should always live as victors. Christians were created to triumph. Just do it. That's what Nike means, victory, triumph. Like literally, that's what it means. Nike, victory, victory. Which means I don't know what happened to you. I don't know who did it, but one thing I know, whoever did it, Jesus wants to step in and say, hey, I don't know who started all this, even though he does. Like, he's just like, listen, I know this is all happening right now, but I came here to end it, and I'm gonna end the curse of sin and death on your life through my son, Jesus Christ. Will you receive it? Because it says right here, those who receive it will triumph. For all who receive it will live in triumph, which means you have to receive Christ first to triumph over those things in your life. So this didn't come from mom, dad. This came from Adam and Eve sinning on there. And again, this is that generational curse we talked about. There's a story real fast where Jesus steps in and they're trying to find out who started it. Who did this? Why is this person sick? Why does this person have an ailment? And they're trying to figure out who they can pin the point, the blame on. Man, we spend so much time trying to pin blame on people. And God said, if you would spend half the time just seeking me, I'd deliver you from it. Because once you find the person who hurt you, I couldn't tell you, 
it's not going to resolve the issue in your soul. Jesus is walking with his disciples, him and his entourage. I can imagine what they look like walking through town, right? They're like, oh, here they come. I, can, I mean, I, I, I have pride issues sometimes. Like, that's the thorn in my side. I'm like, God, please work in me, use me. But if I was walking next to Jesus, like, down, you better believe I'd be, like, rocking that. Like, I'm just like, yeah, you know who we are? Like, I always be like, it's Jesus. You're like, and Jesus like, stop, Sean. Like, humble yourself. I'm like, you know who we are? Let's go what happens. John 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Don't miss this. In this culture, they would always blame sickness and ailments off of the father's sins of those before. It was in the Mosaic Law. We see it in the Old Testament. So every time someone was sick or blind, even though this guy was blind from birth, they would try to pin it on someone. Did he sin? Was it his fault? Or was it his parents' fault? And Jesus comes in, even though Old Testament says, it's for, they would always say, well, your father did this, and this is what happened. Jesus is like, this is nonsense. It doesn't matter. Like, he literally comes in and says, this happened so my power could be displayed through it. He says, it may have started like this, but it ends here. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. Whatever weakness you have, whatever ailment you have, whatever anger and temper and malice or unfaithfulness or the thing you keep, addiction, whatever you keep dealing with right now, I just want to let you know, Jesus sees you and he wants you to know, quit trying to blame other people on why it's happening. Even stop blaming yourself because it's not going to get you anywhere. But what you can do is you can stop blaming the people who hurt you and start worshiping the one who can heal you. And when it does, my power will be made perfect through you. You know what I love about people who get this? They realize in this moment, right here, right now, you are still blaming people, but it takes someone to come and say, I've been blaming people my whole life, but in this moment, it doesn't matter anymore. I need Jesus. And when he comes in, he'll make a spectacle of you and say, look at what God has done. We have many people in our church where people look and go, no way. I used to know that person. Why? Because his power was made perfect through them. So an encouraging thing is, it's not going to be your strength that's going to overcome this thing. And the very thing that's against you, God's going to use to give him glory when he defeats it in your life. Quit trying to blame. Who do you need to stop blaming now on why it's happened? Stop blaming who started it and start worshiping the one who can end it. His name is Jesus. The last thing is this. Don't let what you see on the outside discourage you from what God is doing on the inside. This is the hardest thing because we're talking about generational curses and breaking them. Here's the tension. I'm trying to hear that. It's been coming for a while. He said, I sense something six years in that there was people who are excited like the people who are here for the last couple months who aren't as excited anymore because we've heard that these things can come off my life, but I still see them and you're discouraged. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to look on the outside and we'll stop trusting that God is doing the work on the inside. So we'll stop seeking him, we'll stop worshiping him, we'll stop praying and studying because we didn't see the work he was doing on the inside and so we stopped giving him space to continue to work and we stopped the work all itself because we're looking on the outside. 
there's a story that God put on my heart of Jesus doing something pretty weird with his disciples. It's found in Mark 11. The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf of a little way off, so he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him saying it. Weird. Jesus, once a fig newton, shows up to this fig tree, our fig bars, the same thing, they're charging you more. He notices this fig tree, has no figs on it, and he curses it and says, no one will eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. It continues on, something happens, verse 20, it picks back up, listen, a day later when they're leaving, it says, the next morning as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first Forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Sometimes the mountain doesn't move because of our faith, and sometimes the mountain doesn't move because of our unforgiveness. But there's deeper stuff here. So the next morning they passed by, Peter says, Whoa, Jesus, it's dead. Which gets me to believe that when Jesus spoke it in front of them, nothing happened to what they could see. Because if it would have happened right away, but what? It was a day later. Which shows me that in order for something to die on the outside, God has to first kill it on the inside. The hardest part about that is we can't see that part. And this is where faith comes in. Why? Because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What happens in our day and age is we still see the anger and the temper flares. We still see us running to addiction. We still see the things happening on the outside. And we go, but God, I was in that experience where Sean spoke that word, and I believe I gave that thing to God, but I'm quitting now because I don't see a change here. My encouragement to you would be don't give up when you look on the outside because God is working on the inside. And in order for that thing to fully come off on the outside, he's got to kill it from the roots up on the inside. And he didn't notice it until the daylight. What does this look like for us? It means that we live by faith, even though I still deal with my temper. I'm going to be real with you guys right now. I spend time in my room looking at my wife, grabbing her hands, crying, sobbing, apologizing, because I don't know how to get rid of this thing. I had a sex addiction when I was younger. From the time I was 11, I was watching pornography until I was 20-some years old. It was ruining my relationships. It got in the way of my relationship with Liz. And in a moment, God took that thing away from me. I was like, wow. And other people are still struggling with it. I'm like, God, if you could take this thing like this in no time, why am I still dealing with my anger over here? And if we are real with each other today, we have some things that we're attached to that we have given up on because we've been looking at the outside. And God said, if you would keep that faith, I will move that mountain and cast it into the sea. 
If you keep having faith, even though you don't see it happening on the outside, and believe I start a work on the inside, you'll pray even though you can't see it, you'll worship even though you can't see it, you'll study even though you can't see it, and if you keep living by faith, sooner or later that thing will be set in the sea. But we can't give up when we don't see it changing on the outside. You know what's encouraging to me? This thing has been defeated in Christ. Because I still fall, God's grace covers me. And because God's grace covers me, I can wake up tomorrow and fight against this thing again. And someday, you know what? I don't know what will happen of it. But I know one thing. My dad struggled with it. And when he reached an age, when he realized, I'm going to attack this thing hard, he attacked it. And man, by God's grace, my dad is a different person if you knew him way back when. And because he decided as a father to overcome this thing, it inspired me when it came out in me to say, you know what, I'm going to take care of it. And that started from the age of 24 or 25. I'm just praying to believe that if I started it now, that my girls might start taking care of it at the age of eight. And before you know it, it will be gone. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's fear. Maybe fear is locking you out of the best thing God's have for you. You got to fight with the power of Jesus Christ, and you can't give up. You can't stop coming into a place full of faith and realizing that God is doing a work in you and through you. My encouragement for you today would be that. For those who have given up, do you remember when God spoke a word into your heart about a situation in your life? Maybe it was a couple years ago. Maybe this is the moment. Receive His grace. Live by faith. We're scared to talk about faith because we're scared that when it doesn't come through, we think we don't have enough faith. It's crazy that we can be coached and challenged in other areas of our spiritual walk, but when someone talks about faith, we go, oh, that's not it. It could be. It could be a moment where we're letting our eyes see more than what he said. Faith and doubt happen when we focus and believe what we see more than what Jesus said. And if he crucified my old self on the cross so I could triumph over sin and death, then I just believe I'm going to believe that until the day I die. Because even when that day comes, it's a graduation into heaven. The best is truly yet to come. The best is yet to come, church, when we live by faith. Worship team, come on, help me out. I'll just keep talking to them and encouraging them. Thank you so much for listening in these moments. Now, listen, don't bank out yet. The reason I share this, you can't miss this last part. I love Philippians 1.6. It says, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I love this. Because he's saying, the principle, I began the good work, and I'm going to finish it. <laughs> but it's the last part. It's kind of like, uh, how long could this take, Jesus? <laughs> when he returns. When does he return? I want him to return now. I guess what he's trying to say is this. Paul said, I forget what's behind me, and I strain towards what's ahead of me. Every day, I'm going to choose to get better. Every day, I'm going to choose to attack this fear. Every day, I'm going to live by faith. And even though the symptom still shows, I'm going to keep getting in God's word. I'm going to keep coming on Sunday. I'm going to get in the group. I'm going to study. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek. I'm going to ask the Spirit to give me everything that God wants for me. 
so I can be everything he's called me to be. Can I encourage you, don't lose heart if you've given up. God's started to work in you. It's time to jumpstart that thing again by faith. He said, forgive those, right? Now, hear me out. I'm not telling people in here that you don't have enough faith. My point is this. Sometimes we need to address, am I operating in faith? Because every time we operate by what we see, we're not operating in faith, we're operating in fear. But when we operate on what he said, we operate in faith. Which means this thing can come off your life. He still heals. He still does miracles. The lame still walk. The sick still recover. Demon-possessed still find healing in Christ. It still happens. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he said these words at the end. He says, and while you're praying, right, forgive anyone you have a grudge towards. Here's my encouragement. Who are you saying, well, I wouldn't be like this if it wasn't for, well, my father wasn't there, so I have these issues. Yes, we acknowledge the issues. We don't accept them because God has more for you and he can do it by faith. So in this moment, we're gonna sing a song and we're gonna worship. Not just so you can sing, but so that you can ask forgiveness in your heart for that person. This is gonna be the moment you forgive your mom. This is gonna be the moment you forgive your grandfather, your father, maybe the person in school. This is gonna be the moment you forgive that person who hurt you. This is gonna be the moment where you forgive the person you're blaming so you can get your eyes on the one who can end this thing in your life and you're gonna start, God's gonna start a work in you and you're gonna remember this daily that when you want to give up, that you're gonna speak God's word, you're gonna look back on YouTube and you're gonna listen to this again to remind yourself that you're not dead, which means you're not done and God's got a purpose for you and your pain. So Lord, we thank you so much in this place. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray right now that you're working in our hearts, Father God, that you would continue to work in us and through us. I thank you for your Holy Spirit in this place. Lord, you're doing something special. Lord, we're not here just to have knowledge. We're here for transformation. And Lord, there's some things in here. It's fear, it's anxiety, it's stresses, it's pain. Maybe it's even racism. Maybe it's things that we disbelieved who we are. But if it's not who you are, Lord, we don't want to be like that. We want to look like Jesus, but we need your Holy Spirit to help. So I pray that we would operate in faith today. I pray that even though on the outside we see all these hang-ups and these hurts, I pray by faith that we would rise up and we'd worship like this thing has already come off. We'd rise up and we'd pray like this thing has already come off. I pray, Father God, right now in Jesus' name to do that work as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.